Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live from Austin, Texas on Monday, April 8th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Uh, this is a first for us, Jason. Not only are we in the same place together, but we're outside and uh, I know listeners love your trip reports uh, because you are the roving retail trip report ninja. Uh, but we are actually out at a shopping mall in Austin doing a live Jason and Scott show. Yeah, this is awesome. I feel like we are completely breaking all the usual conventions of podcasting uh, because I am actually actively shopping with you here at the domain at Northside in Austin while we're doing a podcast. I'm really excited to find out if this is going to work at all. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that uh, listeners are already hearing some interesting sounds. We're kind of sandwiched between a bar, some construction, and a lot of these noisy birds that live in Austin. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they are, but uh, hopefully that adds to your ambiance as you're listening out there. So the uh, how we got here, so about a year ago, my wife and I went to Austin on a little trip, and we discovered this mall area. I have been looking for one of those hot handbags, or suitcases, I should say, uh, called an Away. And we were drawn here by, they had an Allbird pop-up and an Away. So we came out here uh, and had the digital native brand experience and just really loved this mall. I, I think it's one of my favorite uh, malls in America, uh, if you will. So uh, we decided, since you and I are here for Channel Advisor Connect, that we would do a live remote. Yeah, uh, it was an awesome idea. Uh so this is an out, one of these outdoor lifestyle malls. We've, we've talked about those before. Like they tend to, that tends to be the format uh, that is thriving more than some of the other formats. It has a couple of traditional big anchor tenants, um, like a Neiman Marcus. I think the new big anchor tenant is Nordstrom that might have opened here a couple of years ago. Uh, as you mentioned, most of the digital native brands that, ha- that are in the brick-and-mortar business have a a location here, so that's interesting. You can see the the Casper, Warby Parker, Bonobos, um, etc. All here. And uh, Scott, what what were your sort of initial uh, impressions of the mall? You mentioned it's your favorite mall. Why so? Yeah. So a little another background thing. This mall is owned and operated by Simon Property Group, um, and they're one of the larger mall operators. Um, you know, so having come here three or four times now, what I was surprised with today is there's a lot of closed doors. Uh, I wouldn't say. You know, I would kind of guess 10%, maybe as high as 15 um, I'm a little surprised by that because it does seem to be a, a pretty hot mall area. Um, now, most of them already have a coming soon. So we've seen the ones that are closed are already kind of being backfilled. So, so that was a little bit of a surprise. So I don't think anyone is immune from Mallageddon would be my first impression. Yeah, and I, I, I'm going to have to burst one of your bubbles. Uh, not all signage is truthful. Ah, okay. So if you're a mall operator and a tenant leaves, 
the wallpaper you put over the front of that store says coming soon, whether you have a tenant or not. <laughs> um, it just soon has a very flexible definition. Ah, okay. Well, uh, some of these actually had brands, so I no. assume that they were like. I, I think that's legit. actually yeah. the way you can tell. And yeah. so okay. th- this mall feels like it has about 175 stores. Um, and I, that's probably a fair estimate that like 15 of them or so seem like they're vacant. And at least half of those, to your point, felt like they had uh, a, a named tenant moving in. Um, and I would argue, uh, in the modern era, that's just the, the that's the sign of a healthy mall. Like there's some concepts people open here that just didn't work, um, and stuff goes out of business, and and stuff opens up. We are here on a Monday afternoon in the middle of the workday, um, and I would say traffic feels adequate. Like it, it definitely is not bustling, um, but there's a significant number. Uh, of folks here shopping on a three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, a Monday afternoon. Um, and, uh, as with most of these lifestyle malls, uh, it is sort of a mixed use, uh, model. So there's a lot of retail here. There's a lot of dining here. Um, some of which, you know, it's sort of higher end than a food court might be. Uh, there's a couple hotels on this property. Uh, we, uh, because we're here for Channel Advisor, we're staying at much fancier hotels downtown. Um, but there are cool hotels here, and there's some uh, entertainment venues as well. So, like, some of that traffic's probably retail, but some of it may be locals coming for lunch or something. Yeah, our uh, Uber driver uh, lived, has lived in Austin for about 40 years, and he kind of ca- called it this domain area. Uh, we're in the little subsection called Northside. He called it the new Main Street of Austin. So it's definitely kind of not only a shopping destination, but people are kind of moving here and living. Um, and I would, I would echo that the, the busiest part of the mall today is definitely the food and, and kind of services side of things. Yeah, shout out to Velvet Tacos that took care of us. Yes, delicious. Uh, so let's do some store reports. So the first store we went into was Beta. And uh, Jason, if you have a superpower, I haven't witnessed it before, but your superpower is getting store associates to spill their guts about what's going on in a store. So tell us what you learned about Beta. Uh, yeah, well, we've talked about Beta on the, sto- on the show before. Uh, one of the founders, Vibu, has, has been on an episode. So just as a reminder for listeners that maybe didn't hear that, this is sort of a, um, a retail as services mall, or another way to say it would be uh, a physical marketplace. So this is a, a store uh, that brands can buy a, a shelf slot on um, and tell their story. And so it tends to be uh, young up and coming brands and novel products that maybe don't have huge awareness or distribution yet. Um, and, or products that require like better demonstration or explanation to be, uh, to be sold. And so they, they would pay beta to have a slot in the store. Beta gets a commission on everything they sell. And so it, it very much is like beta is a marketplace operator and their individual brands selling their products in the store. Um, fun fact, this is my second one I've been in this week because I was in the, the Santa Monica store in L.A. Um, earlier or uh, within the last week. Uh, so the, it, the stores get a lot of traffic. One of the pros and the cons of beta is it's a great store for what I'll call discovery. Like if you don't know you're looking for something, you walk in, you're, you're very likely to find something you didn't know exists that you think is cool and you want to buy. Um, and so, for example, I think Scott and I both desperately want, uh, although I guess, I'm guessing neither of us have a use for, um, one of these neo-digital pens, which is a physical pen that you write on paper, um, and everything you, you doodle or write or notes you take are stored in the pen. 
you can download them in real time or after the fact uh, as PDFs in an iPad. Um, and it's just kind of a cool thing that you maybe didn't know existed before you walked in the store. Yeah, yeah, they have a ton of that. The um, My first impression of this bait, I've been in the one in um, in uh, Palo Alto. Um, first of all, this felt like a Google takeover. So almost the entire perimeter of the store was taken over by Google Home, kind of what I would call little vignettes. Um, and these were vignettes that had a device, maybe some associated kind of... Uh, uh, a Google device, maybe a, maybe a phone or something. Uh, but then also uh, they were trying to walk you through some use cases for how to use the Google Home devices. So there was a recipe vignette. Uh, there was a weather temperature vignette. Um, kind of, a, And then like a travel kind of a one. Um, so that was interesting. It looked like Google was spending pretty big bucks there to support that effort. Um, and then you used your superpower and got the uh, store associates to say some of the top selling things in this particular beta are the key smart system. Um, and shout out, we know some of those folks are listeners, so... Sometimes known as the smart key. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yep. Uh, uh, and then uh, bone-conducting headphones uh, were popular. Uh, the Neo Smart Pin. Um, and then uh, there's a lot of really cool musical instrument stuff, so jam sticks, so you could teach yourself how to play guitar. Uh, and then my favorite thing was... Uh, because we're always having to do these company meetings and you always are shouting out in these open spaces. Uh, they had this really cool, uh, although it was $900, called a Soundbox, B-O-K-S, uh, which is a, a ginormous Bluetooth speaker that you could either take, take to the beach as like a mega boombox, uh, or I would use it for like a PA system at a company meeting type thing. And when you say ginormous, you mean 30 pounds. Yeah, the, yeah it has like a whole system for carrying it and whatnot, but it, it looked quite robust, like you could stand on it or, you know, whatever, have some sand get on it, and it wouldn't, wouldn't get destroyed. Yeah. So, the I, again, I think the store is great for that kind of thing, that you discovered something you didn't know existed. Per your point about Google, um, Google's a perfect example. They don't have a network of their own stores, and they have products that you may not know you need unless you see them used or demonstrated. You may not understand um, some of the, the Google products, and so they need physical brick-and-mortar demonstration. Apple solved that problem for their products by opening hundreds of their own stores, Google hasn't done that yet, and so it makes sense that they would invest in these opportunities to create a, a physical presence. The downside of a store like this is you can't rely on them having any particular product before you walk in the door. So it's not a store you'd walk into with a mission. Like, it's unlikely you'd go, oh, I need new headphones. I'm going to go to beta. Like, that headphones in particular, it's likely there's going to be several different kinds of headphones in a beta store. Yeah. But they may not have the complete breadth of assortment or the brand you're particularly interested in. They're not going to have like a Bose Quiet Comfort. They're, they're not going to have some any kind of pedestrian thing that, that you would go to like a Best Buy for, absolutely. Exactly. So it was interesting. I, we were talking to the guy, um, and uh, we were talking about some of the other like good retailers in the, in the mall, and he mentioned uh, Peloton and Casper, uh, and, and his POV was that those guys would do great in a beta store. Um, and that, you know, they, they all have like sort of physical elements that would that resonate with a beta customer. Oh, we also talked about Away. He felt like the Away bags would do particularly well in the, in the beta store. And uh, I was kind of uh, uh, drilling down on that a little bit. I actually don't think a beta store can offer the immersive experience that a Casper store can offer. So I would actually argue when you have the opportunity to have a Casper store in the mall – that's what you should do is have a Casper store, not be in beta. But if beta is in a mall that Casper isn't in, I, you, you could imagine that, that uh, beta could be a supplemental experience for sort of expanding the footprint for some of these other brands. 
Yeah, yeah, I think they could be an or kind of a thing versus just a, you know you have to choose between one. So after beta, we went uh, we walked by Peloton. They had kind of a class going on in there, um, and you know it looked like it looked uh, to be quite busy. Um, they had many of their their signature devices. Um, they had some of the treadmills. That's their newest widget. Uh, there's a lot of buzz out on Wall Street that um, this company is gonna gonna be one of these that goes public. Um, as we're speaking today, Lyft has filed has done their IPO. Uh, you know, someone there's it's been a little bit of a rocky start for it. Um, TBD on what that was. It was it was good for the company, not so good for the investors that that bought the IPO. Um, and then Pinterest is actually starting their roadshow today. So we're starting to see this IPO logjam clear uh, and a lot of chatter out there about Peloton being one. And the big surprise about Peloton is it's not really a hardware company; it's a subscription software company. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, uh, the the hardware is a little bit of the razor in this model, and then the the monthly subscription for content is the razor blade. So you, their original product was a stationary bike with a big screen on it, um, and they have a great group gamification model. So you take live classes with other remote participants. So you can get a, a very famous instructor. If they were teaching at a spinning studio in New York, they'd only be able to accommodate 30 bikes. But now this instructor can have 2,000 people in their class, uh, and you get the instructor on the video screen in front of you. You're competing against all other 2,000 people. You can see how many watts you're making and how hard you're working against these other 2,000 people. And that access to, like, the the finite commodity of really good instructors and the and the sort of competitive gamification and the fact that there's so many classes that you kind of have you can have a completely flexible schedule that that those set of factors have caused Peloton to do really well and get a really zealous user base a lot of people think that they've taken a big chunk out of the the dedicated spinning uh businesses like uh Soul Cycle and those guys um, so the newest thing for them, they were a direct-to-consumer business. They only sold the bikes online. They uh, do, did infomercials. And so retail is a very new model for them, but they're rapidly opening stores um, probably because they captured all those early, easy customers online. And now to expand their footprint, they're having to have a brick-and-mortar presence. Yeah, our, um, our Class A mall in Durham has a Peloton pop-up. So it's like this little glass enclosure with two or three in there. Um, the last I heard, I think they're, they've crossed over a million subscribers. So, you know, starts to feel, uh, when I talk to a lot of people, they're kind of like, it's just like going to be almost like the ne- next Netflix. There's nothing, you know, the, that software, you could imagine it on tons of different devices. And this whole in-home exercise area is hot with VCs. So uh, some companies to kind of keep an eye on if this is interesting to you. Uh, there's Mirror and Tonal, uh, who have all raised substantial capital to go after this market. And they all have different approaches. Yeah, yeah, and there's uh, is is you might expect a lot of uh, sort of me too's even on the original equipment like the the cycling bike and Peloton has expanded now to treadmills. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting hot space, and I, I think I may have mentioned in our CES show there's a whole exhibit hall at CES dedicated to this sort of connected fitness space, and these guys all had a prominent presence there. Cool. So then we uh, we wandered around. We walked by uh, Bonobos and Warby. No need to go in those. Those are well well treaded for us. Um, then we uh, went to the bakery uh, and sampled some some uh, bakery items and some the seasonal for oatmeal cookie. It yeah. Really hit the spot. Yeah, ten minutes had gone by since a latte. So Jason was was yeah. uh, he was Unless cheeky. Unless my wife is listening, in which case I had the fruit parfait. 
Yes, good job having just that one strawberry. Uh, cool. Uh, and then we went into the Casper store, and that was my first Casper store. I've seen their little kind of in-target pop-up before, uh, but I've never been in a Casper store. How about you? Uh, I have been in a number of Casper stores, and so this is on the um, smaller value side of Casper stores. Hmm. Um, so they, they do a good job of merchandising their products. So they uh, obviously their primary product is a mattress that uh, can be a direct-to-home delivery that they, they sort of I won't say they invented the product space. They were the first runaway success in the the um, foam mattresses that you could compress down small enough to UPS them home. Um, and so they have a lot of these these sweeping vignettes, these little mini houses with their various mattresses in them uh, that you can lay down and try. And we'll we'll get back to the deep dives Scott did in trying a mattress in a minute. Um, the, they all, they've expanded to, like, bedding, and they have a, a very cool, like, bedroom lighting system. Oh, yeah, we, that's my favorite. That uh, <laughs> sort of hypnotized us for about 15 minutes, so we were playing with that. Um, what's different about this Casper store, that's kind of where this Casper store stopped. Um, bigger Casper stores have sort of more of a social media component, so they might have had, like, like a... a a photography set where you can take a cool Instagram picture of you in a in a Casper vignette. And then the marquee thing that some of the big Caspers have is this thing called the Dreamery. And the Dreamery is kind of the we work of naps. So you uh, you make a reservation and you pay to go into this isolated soundproof pod with a Casper mattress and premium bedding. Um, and you literally can pay to just uh, have a nap for... For half an hour, and uh, my understanding is that like these things sell out to like uh, team uh, offsites and team building and things, and it's it's kind of a clever way they're monetizing people trying their product, which is pretty clever. Very cool. You should have seen the associate's uh, look on his face when Jason asked if he could take a nap. Yeah. Uh, that can, so, <laughs> side note: if you're going to do a lot of store visits, it's important to have a super cheesy, annoying joke as an icebreaker. Yes. For everyone. So You're really good at that. Thanks, man. I, I, your, your I work hard on them. Your dad jokes are off the chart. I work hard on them. So we didn't mention this in beta, but uh, I highly encourage our listeners, whenever you walk in a beta store and someone comes up and asks you if you need any help, the first thing you should ask them is when they're expecting to get out of beta. Yes. The guy gave... He almost yeah. fell on the ground laughing. Epic, epic eye rolls. Yeah. And, and side eye. The... At Apple, what you like to do is uh, go stand by the laptops, and when someone comes up and offers to help you, which will no longer happen in an Apple store, by the way, but hypothetically, if it did, um, what you want to do is uh, go, yeah, uh, when did iPod start making computers? <laughs> they love that joke. Oh, cool. So in Casper, yeah, the little vignettes were funny. Um, Casper always has this good, better, best mattress system, and I always forget the names. They have, like, the Wave and the this and that, that. Um, so you could try uh, those in six or seven little vignettes. Um, and then they had the fun one that has the uh, the self-lifting feet and head, and, like, it's got magic fingers. So that, that was I, I spent quite a bit on time on that one. Um, so that was fun. Uh, and then the glow lights were cool. So it's kind of a, a light that you put next to your bed. You can just rotate the light. It's, it's uh, cordless, so it sits on what looks like a... Uh, what are those kind of chargers, the conductive an, charger, an induction, charger. An induction, induction charger. Um, so you can kind of like turn it and dim a series of lights, or you can just turn it upside down and it turns lights off. So that, that was a pretty cool device. Yeah. I like the fact that the lights seem like they're Wi-Fi networked. So literally like it, when you say turn, you don't mean a knob, you mean literally spin the lamp itself and it dims. But if you have, you could have 10 lights in your room and they would all dim 
And you could flip one lamp upside down, and all the lights in your room go off and flip it and come back on. It's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, it's a much, uh, it is a lot of effort compared to talking to Alexa, though. So I don't know. I don't know how successful it's going to be. I was exhausted flipping the light two or three times, so <laughs> not sure. not sure I needed that much of a workout here today. The, the other thing we should talk about uh, briefly is uh, one of our uh, listeners is here in the area, a uh, super listener, I guess we should call him, uh, Ted, and he was able to secure a demo for us and a tour of Brigo. Um, and Brigo has a robot coffee kind of a, a experience. So uh, imagine, if you will, a 8 by 5 uh, by 6, 7 feet uh, little, um, little hut um, with a lot of touchscreens and stuff that has a, ro- a little robot barista inside of it. Um, so that was really cool to see. Uh, I've seen it here in the Austin airport, uh, and apparently it's in other airports like DFW uh, and, uh, you know, I guess coming soon to maybe SFO. So um, what did you think about that, Mr. Espresso Guy? Yeah, well, for me it solves a fundamental problem, which is called um, 24-7 availability of espresso. So the annoying thing about staffed coffee shops is they don't tend to be staffed at 3 a.m. Um, but with one of these automated systems, you, you can get a delicious iced latte any time of the day or night. Um, so in that sense, obviously, I love it. Uh, it. It's interesting to me what the ideal use case is for that. So this feels like uh, something that you'd want to put in to a, a, a high-traffic public space, ideally a space that's open a lot of the time or all the time, uh, like a bus terminal or, a, you know, uh, some kind of public transit or the airports. Um, and you would put it in in lieu of a manned espresso bar. So it, do, it takes up less space than a manned espresso bar, um, and it, it can make all the different drinks and stuff. It does not seem like something you'd add to an existing coffee place or something, you know, I think it's meant to be sort of a standalone mini coffee shop. And at the moment, it's meant to be indoors, which uh, you can imagine a lot of the the 24-7 use cases that would be interesting are, uh, could potentially be outdoor installations. I think we solved their business model problem for them while we were there. Uh, I I really think they should be partnering with the Tesla superchargers, um, and you could actually order your coffee from your car and have your car waiting for you when you arrive to plug in and charge it. Yeah, and I think they should uh, brand it a human supercharger. I invented my, that myself. <laughs> nice. That could be your ice-breaking <laughs> joke whenever you, yeah, you yeah. go into one of those. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll use that one. Um, the other use case I thought of and that uh, it is popular is convention centers. And I flash back to you and I have been to the NRF Big Show uh, some ungodly number of years, and even though there's two Starbucks, some unbranded espresso place, and another place, the line is always two hours long. Um, so one of the cool features of this is if you download their app, you can you can pre-order, and the machine will um, you can you can actually schedule uh, when you want your coffee made, uh, and then you go. It doesn't just kind of make the coffee and spit it out. So you go to the it holds it for you um, for for up to two hours, uh, and then which probably only makes sense with ice drinks. But anyway, uh, and then you go up and you enter either you swipe your card or enter a code, and then it dispenses the drink. So I was thinking, you know, in those times in RF where we've got. 15, 20 minutes between, that would be a perfect use case for it because there is so much, uh, you know, the, uh, it's almost like Cyber Monday for coffee. <laughs> you know, the, the, the demand really far outstrips the supply and there's a lost opportunity there. Yeah, and I, do, I feel like it's one of these categories, almost every category that gets digitally disrupted, there's like the, the sort of 
traditional players that are like, oh my gosh, a big part of the espresso experience is talking to the barista and everyone wants to interact with a human and that's, you know, it's the third place and, and uh, this sort of impersonal robot is never going to work. Um, but I would remind people that 20% of all Starbucks orders are now online order and pay and you essentially don't ever interact with a human. You, you order the drink on the phone, you walk in, uh, you hope that you have easy access to grab your drink and never see a person and walk out. And so this kind of automation, you could imagine really being the pri- primary fulfillment vehicle for those kinds of experiences. Yeah, one lens you could look through this is the, the human in the equation actually adds a lot of cost uh, and then also a lot of variability, right? So, um, you know, the one thing I think you would find from a robot coffee maker is going to be uh, obviously a more consistent experience. Um, and they've done a lot around that that's pretty wild. Um, uh, another cool thing is we were able to see their network operating center so they could see all the machines and what was going on. And, you know, machine number six is a little low on its cinnamon and this machine is a little low on this size cup. So really cool demo and want to uh, thank the guys for doing that, uh, especially shout out to Ted for, for inviting us on that tour. Yeah, and getting me caffeinated, to, caffeinated today. Uh, hopefully that will pay off when we give our presentation at Channel Advisor later. Yeah, I'm just hoping you don't peak too early, so we gotta, we got to time this right. Always a challenge. So what was the last store we visited before we sat down and cut the podcast? That was your, uh, I think, your original... Uh, impetus for coming to the mall, the oh, Away yeah. store. Yeah, we, we popped into the Away store. I tried to convince uh, Jason and I had a robust argument in the middle of the store around two versus four wheels. We will not bore you guys with that uh, that argument. Um, but the staff, uh, I have a little problem with my suitcase, and the staff was actually quite helpful with that. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I love their store. It's a great suitcase. Uh, it's pretty cool how they've kind of taken a suitcase and put a lifestyle brand around it. Um, so a lot of the packaging and all uh, is really geared towards people that travel a lot and talks about adventure. And uh, and uh, just since the last time I was in the store, they've added a lot of accessories and other little kind of travel doodads and gadgets that, uh, you know, when you do travel, those things uh, do improve your life. So I, I thought it, uh, you know, it's a great store. If you have a chance to visit one of those, you should definitely try it out. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned this in a previous store visit. Uh, I have mixed feelings because I feel like it's Away is a great brand. They've had a lot of success. They obviously evangelized you. Um, and I think if you hear the founders speak, um, they'll talk a lot about it being a travel lifestyle brand, not a luggage brand, right? And so um, I had a chance to visit their first pop-up before they opened retail stores, and I would have said their pop-up was brilliant. I, I thought it was really well executed, and it perfectly matched – that story about them being a lifestyle travel brand. So the, the store was set up in vignettes, and the vignettes pretended to be different aspirational travel destinations. So you might have had, like, Lake Como in Bellagio, Italy, and you might have had, uh, I, don't, I don't know, Istanbul in Turkey or something. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And, and obviously Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for the golfers. Um, and, you know, so you'd have a vignette of each of those things, and it was like, yeah, you needed a suitcase. But what they were really selling was this aspirational lifestyle of traveling and taking great vacations. Um, and uh, the Austin has very interesting uh, uh, bird life, by the way. For the, yes. That was not Scott. <laughs> um, but uh, so I felt like the store did a good job of creating that aspiration and kind of telling that travel story. And they were almost selling the destination more than the products. And then when they closed this New York pop-up and they opened their permanent stores, um, I feel like they're way more watered down. It's a lot more shelves with suitcases on them, and it's a lot more talking about the 
the attributes and the features and the benefits of the luggage and less about uh, the the lifestyle selling is a lot more subtle, I guess is what I'd say. And that to me is mildly disappointing from a experiential retail perspective. Fair point. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, I think they're struggling with, you know, one of the knock knocks on these kind of showroomy kind of places like um, uh, when I talk to your average consumer about bonobos, uh, they think it's really weird. You can't go in there and buy stuff. <laughs> So, so I think a way is trying to kind of say for that, that person that doesn't want to walk in and buy something, it is a weird experience to say, well, thanks for stopping by, you know, go to this kiosk and we'll ship it to you in three days uh, or, or whatnot. So, so I do think that kind of, you know, uh, that's probably why it has that feel to, to compare to what you had in the pop-up. Yeah, no, and I, I certainly, I'm not going to argue against them having inventory and immediate gratification. I feel like in general, those are all good things. Like Andy Dunn makes a a reasonable argument why he doesn't want it, but there's pros and cons. Um, but I will say that sort of highlights my key takeaway from this whole mall um, is, is uh, you know, an increasing percentage of this mall and other good malls are filled by these digitally native vertical brands that are expanding to brick and mortar. So, you know, we talk about mall getting and lots of stores closing. You know, it's a big number right now. It's, it's over 5,000 stores have closed this year, which is more than closed last year. And there are thousands of openings, like two or 3,000, uh, but not as many as closings. And the openings are all these digitally native brands. So I do feel like it's the future of the mall are more of these brands that were born online and are, are now moving to brick and mortar. Um, but here's my one knock on all those experiences. They, they do still feel like isolated brick and mortar experiences. So none of those cool stores we talked about could you have started shopping online and resumed that that experience in store. None of them had uh, digital tools that the salesperson was holding to know which size away bag you looked at online before you came in the store. None of the Casper you know employees knew whether you were a Casper customer or not already, and what kind of relationship you had with Casper. I I feel like it's a lost opportunity um, that. You know, these are a lot of brands that people have discovered online and then they're exploring further in store. And I, I really feel like the, the omni-channel experiences continue to be lacking across the board. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, um, the, the reason I like this mall is, you know, where I am, it's very vanilla in the southeast. Your, your malls have your standard Sears, JCPenney, Macy's kind of, and, and that, that's maybe you get a Belks as an anchor in there. Um, so we don't get almost any original stores at all. So even Apple stores, we got like four of those. Um, so what I think is interesting about it is it is one of the few places you can go uh, and find these kinds of stores that you just can't really find anywhere else. Um, I'm going uh, on vacation to New York in a couple weeks, and uh, I'm going to stop stop by Hudson Yards. They don't, you know, whatever you do, don't call it a mall, but they're their collection of stores at Hudson Yard. Uh, I've heard, um, I guess, native New Yorkers don't like it, but I've heard that it's a fun destination because it's got a lot of really unique things there. Uh, so I look forward to kind of seeing how that compares to this mall. Yeah, I'm going to uh, eagerly await your trip report because I'm somewhat humiliated that I feel like you're going to beat me to Hudson Yard. I, I, I got to visit it before it opened, but I haven't been there since the grand opening. Yeah, I feel as chief strategy retail digital e-commerce officer at Publicis, uh, this is pretty bad that you've let a landlubber like me get to uh, get to the store before you. So yeah, I hope yeah. none of your bosses are listening. Well, you know, it would not be a Jason and Scott show without mocking Jason's title. Um, and that's probably going to be a great place to leave it because uh, we have used up our allotted time for this very first 
Jason and Scott mobile podcast. But I, I hope the listeners enjoyed it and uh, would love to get some feedback. If, if us schlepping all the podcast gear on our backs and walking through a mall in the blistering heat, Scott wearing a, like a giant flannel jacket. Um, and being attacked by very loud birds. By birds, exactly. Um, if that's the thing that put you over the edge to really love the show, we sure would appreciate that five-star review. Thanks, everyone. And if you are interested uh, in learning more, you could either Google or come visit uh, next time you're in Austin. Uh, this location, it's called Domain Northsides. That's two words, Domain Northside. Uh, and that, again, that is by Simon Property Group. Yeah. And so until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 